0: How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. What is up, everybody? This is Ryan here with The Scale Up Show. So something really cool today, I have a special guest on today named Yoav Vilner. Yoav is the founder and CEO of Walnut. And something really cool that they did is it's a no-code platform that allows sales teams to create custom content, right, at scale. But the really cool thing is they got a waiting list of 700 people just from a MVP. And then at the same time, they got $56 million in funding and millions of dollars in revenue and less than two years of existence. So you're not going to want to miss this one. A lot of different twists and turns that we haven't talked about before, but you're going to love it. Check it out. Don't miss it. Talk to you soon. Welcome everybody to the scale up show. This is your host Ryan Staley and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Yoav Vilner. Yoav is the co-founder and CEO of Walnut which is a no-code platform that allows sales teams to instantly create tailored and interactive product demos. The company has raised over 56 million in funding and they have clients like Adobe and Dell. Yoav, welcome man. Happy to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. No problem. I know you've. I want to dig into your marketing prowess, too, because I know you've done a lot um, in the space of marketing, helping with startups like Google, Microsoft, and Yahoo. So we definitely have to dig into that. But let's do a real quick revenue rundown so everybody understands kind of where you're at in terms of the journey. So can you give us just like a revenue range in terms of where you're at? Um,
1: yeah, you know, it's a second year at Walnut. Um, we're in a couple of millions in AR. Definitely um, seen tremendous growth.
0: Yeah, that, I would say that's really good for the second year. How large is your team? We're growing so fat, it really depends on
1: when is this aired. But <laughs> now, at, this very, at this very moment, uh, about 75 people full-time.
0: Okay, awesome. You're like, at this specific moment in time when we're recording this, uh, what's, your what's your primary go-to-market strategy? Uh, Sales teams, sales leaders, uh, VP of sales, and etc. Okay, so it's a sales go-to-market, sales-led go-to-market motion. Do you leverage uh, SDRs, um, things along those lines? Is it more of a top-down enterprise motion, or what kind of of focus is it? Yeah, so we're kind of seeing both. Uh, We kind of
1: started one from a waitlist of 700 people, and that waitlist included... VPs in fortune companies, also product marketers, also, you know, head of sales. Um, so we're kind of seeing a very intense motion in terms of people wanting interactive demos.
0: So I, w- I would say both for now. Okay. Love that, man. So what can you walk through, I mean, you mentioned it right there briefly, but can you walk through, like, just your solution and what it does, who it serves and and the problems it solves?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, we're solving a massive pain, which is showcasing your product, which everyone hates. Um, It breaks, it's boring, it's generic, there's bugs. Um, And, you know, we started from interviewing 70 VP sales from all kinds of uh, massive companies. And we talked to them about their challenges and everything kept going back to that same moment where someone is actually seeing our product and something happens. Um so we've we've seen tremendous uh, success and growth. Uh, like you mentioned we work some with some fortune companies, smaller startups, um some sales teams, some marketing teams and the solution is very simple. Um replicates the front end of your SaaS product, your SaaS dashboard into our cloud environment where you can start customizing your demo, your your new product actually into uh, certain use cases that can fit specific prospects. Um, thinking that a gaming company and a cyber company might not want to see the exact same demo. And that makes no sense, right? Cause they're going to use your product a bit differently. Um, you can do all that, not asking any favors from R and D backend product design. Your sales team can do it all on their own. Um, send it over to prospects, insights, analytics uh, as to how, what happened, um, and there you go.
0: I love that. That's 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 pretty cool. So, how long does it take? And this is just out of curiosity. Before we go to the next step, well, let it, how long does it take to set it up? Anywhere between one and five minutes. Really? That's fantastic. So, you're talking like different verticals, or maybe different products or different modules. You kind of customize it based on that, and then. You have a replicatable model so that you don't need a person to go through it every single time.
1: Yeah. So what happened so far is, you know, the poor salespeople would have to either ask favors from R&D, which we know is never well accepted to set up an environment or a sandbox or something they can play with, you know, before a live demo call. Um, Then came solutions like third party solutions that let you um, install software that kind of makes it easier for you, but you would still have to ask favors from R&D. Um, and then came Walnut, where you don't have to plug into the back end, you don't have to plug into your production. We just work on the front end of your dashboard, uh, directly uh, replicate it in our cloud environment in a couple of minutes. And that's pretty much it. That's awesome.
0: Are, are you bootstrapped or funded? I think I know the answer to this question because I mentioned it in the intro, you're funded, right? <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Were you were you funded from day one, or did you did you build the product for a while prior to getting funded? Um we built it for a very
1: little while, but when the interviews that we conducted you know for validation, um, when we got the answers that we got and we saw, you know there's something something crazy going on here. like everyone wants us to build it so they can pay for it. Then we felt comfortable with raising the first batch of seed round, which was two point five million. Um, but then the first year ended up. With raising overall 56.
0: So here's a question. And this is, uh, how did you get 70 interviews with VPs of sales? What what? How did you make that happen? Because that's a pretty big task for a startup, unless you were doing some consulting or something else before. But I'd love to hear how you made that a reality. Because I think that's something that a lot of startups miss. They don't, they don't talk in depth to the end users. They do it through sales calls, which isn't bad, right? But this is probably a much more efficient way to do it. So how did you do that?
1: Yeah, honestly, I never cared in my life. You know, I've been building stuff for like 12 years now. I never cared about building stuff that I'm, I'm very not convinced the market needs. Um, mm-hmm. And so so this was something the market really, really asked for. Um, everything was going remote and digital and sell. You know, it was COVID and lockdowns and um, companies were investing only in products that impact their bottom line and their sales and their revenues. Um, everything kind of just connected to a point where showcasing your products in the way that it used to work made no sense. Um, so it got, so it, it was kind of easy for us to get all those calls. Some of them we got through connections, right? For me, it's my third run. My co-founders built a couple of startups in the past. So you can definitely say some of them we had through connections, but when the word started spreading and every VP sales were like, you also have to start to talk to my friend there and my colleague over there. and just it turned into a wait list.
0: Okay. But how did you position it though? Like, like, cause I, I get hit up all the time. Like, Hey, we built this product for this and I'd love you to review it, which sounds just like basically a attempt for a sales call. Like, how did you, cause like a, a lot of VPs and sales are really busy. So how did you, how did you outside of your contacts? Right. Like, how did you get people to say like, yeah, I'll spend the time with you and go through it.
1: Mm. That's a good question. I think they were overly nice for no specific reason. Uh, Maybe they liked us or maybe they liked the name Walnut. Uh, It still didn't mean (laughs) anything to anyone. Um, But you know, my my way of running these conversations, I never actually just talk about my product because if you talk about your potential product, everyone's going to say, wow, it's amazing. And then they're not going to pay for it eventually. Um, So we started the conversation with, you know, the sales stack is so overloaded. But we want to hear about your actual challenges, the most burning issues. Everything kept going back to that friction between salespeople and anyone from R&D and backend and design. Um, and then we told them the MVP. We we showed them the MVP we're building, and it all exploded ever since.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Because that was going to lead into my next question. Is like, how did you get the demand on the waitlist side? So that created. The demand right so you did the interview which actually and then you're like hey this is what we're working on what do you think I'm like that looks awesome right um let me know and then you threw them on the waitlist and then you did that right and then it sounds like you also leverage referrals to to get their friends which obviously expanded that waitlist even more correct
1: yeah and when we saw the demand is kind of um surprising us day by day we also launched on product Hunt. And, you know, we were expecting to see some traffic and stuff, but we did not expect to be the top, well, the first product of the day and then the first product of the week and then nominee to the annual, um, you know, their golden Kitty awards for the annual prize. Um, and there was just thousands of thousands of, you know, sales leaders on our website. And it also helped
0: us scale very fast. Uh, so, Okay. So, is it, is your, your, cause this is really cool, man. I love this story. This is very unique with the way you approach, approach or go to market, which I think is an amazing model that a lot of companies skip by or just handle it differently that makes, that elongates the process, right? So, how, like, what's the, the average deal size that the, the solution typically runs in or what is it looking like per user? Cause I, normally when I think of product hunt, I think of more, you know, that $55, $47, $49, $99 a month type solution. Is this kind of fall in that range or?
1: We would be a bit higher because of the demand. Um, And because we're a startup company, so we have to scale fast and be efficient. So we're on the
0: $99 per seat per month um, range and it's built. Excellent. So why don't you walk like that? I I think that's a really cool beginning because I like I told you before the show, I've, I've interviewed a lot of folks and, nobody's quite done it that way so kudos to you for for uh coming up with that how did you get here right like i know you've had experience with startups prior to to starting walnut and it sounds like you cut your teeth in multiple areas just like how did you get here what was the journey like and and you know like what when it gets to the point where you get 56 million funding in two years things are taking off like a rocket what's all the hard jobs and things you had to do along the way to get here. Right. A lot of great questions. probably asked you too many questions. I should ask you one question as a poor interviewer on my part. It's all right. Sorry about that. Go ahead, man. No, yeah, it's it's great. Um, uh, yeah. So in my early twenties,
1: I wanted to do some freelance marketing for startups, um, that ended up building the whole category of tech marketing in a couple of countries and several cities worldwide. Um, like Tel Aviv and Manhattan and London, where I had offices, 600 startups were leveraging our, um, our abilities that did not exist prior, prior to that. And for us, it was a way of growing fast because startups raised seed rounds a decade ago. They didn't have a lot of options for, you know, what to do with the money in terms of go to market and penetration and marketing and, you know, and ads and content and social and all that. Um today it's so a very much of a busy industry and lots of talented people. Um but we were lucky enough to be that cool brand that does it for everyone. And I was I was the CEO of that company for 7 years. I was also a founding member of a startup designed to save kids from bullies and shaming on social media. Uh writing columns about my all kinds of different activities for publications like CNBC, Inc magazine, Entrepreneur magazine, Fo- um, Fox News and more um mentoring and accelerators belonging to microsoft and google and yahoo and the un and walnut is the fastest thing and the coolest thing i've ever done
0: well so that's that's a hell of a journey so how how did you create a category for for marketing like let's let's take into that a little bit more like what exactly did you mean by that what did you do and then like how did you make that a reality um right so
1: in that area of time in Tel Aviv, startups, if they raise, let's say, 500k seed rounds, that would hit the papers, right? It was it was unique, um, and and then the options were, you know, everyone in Tel Aviv knows how to build amazing technologies. Very few founders know how to, you know, go to market, and then you would have the options that you have. You had were an ad, ad, ad agency with a tall building that will charge you millions that you don't have. Yet, right? Because you're not a point company. Um, or you could waste months and months looking for a CMO, VP marketing. The talent pool was very, very slim back then. Right now, it's amazing. House of talented people in Israel and in New York and London where I um, live. And so when we started to like kind of brand it like a very like a like its own startup. So the name was Ranky, R. Our, uh, our logo was a little uh, munchkin. Um, the name was after ranking websites in Google, you know, in the search results. And then we started working with HubSpot as partners. So we were all about the automation and then content marketing and PR and social and SEO. That was all super, super, very, very much focused on startups on slim budgets. And that made hundreds and hundreds of them reach out and work with us. So we brought dozens of employees um, and, and launched offices worldwide. And it was kind of a thing, you know, it was a lot of fun. But after seven years of being the CEO, it was my time to move on.
0: Okay, uh, I think that's cool. So it sounds like everything, like you're saying, it's the whole marketing stack, the digital marketing stack, and you made it effective for startups. So that, that's pretty cool. So walk us through, like, now that you're on the other side of it, right, and you have that, like, how do you get your first 100 customers? Like, you know, how do you go from zero to 100 in terms of customers? Like, what's walk us through that, exactly how you do that. Right. So
1: um, as we all know, 100 customers for a B2B company is is a lot, right? And we, we were lucky to get that number in our first year because um, we're very clear on the value that we're providing. It's a very you know, crucial problem and pain that we're solving. Um, and there's tons of inbound. So my belief is build the biggest brand that you can as fast as you can and break walls um, while your technology and products are still adjusting. Um, it's kind of what made a lot of category leaders and definers uh, succeed in the past. And also, especially in B2B sales. Um, so from day one, we saw hundreds of inbounds from amazing companies each month you know, coming over just because of word of mouth and communities talking about us and lots of coverage. We got over a hundred press coverage for us in our, in like, you know, in, in a year and a half. Um, There's lots of buzz going on around Walnut Gartner's writing blog posts about what we do. And of course there's also the paid campaigns that we run.
0: But, okay. So I love that. Let's get more specific though. Like how do you build the biggest brand while you're building a product? Like Let's get tactical. Like, what are three to five steps you would do that? Because that's what I would tell you is that's one of the things I see a lot of companies, whether they're at your stage, even companies that are maybe at the ten million ARR range, they they don't know how to do that. So I think it'd be really awesome for you to share kind of like what you mean by that and tactically how you do it.
1: Yeah, lucky for us,
0: most people don't know how to do that.
1: Otherwise, everyone would be the best brand, right? Uh, (laughs) So so, so, yeah, Um, I I would say first of all, you got to try and be the first. Moval, you want to announce everything that you do super fast. Don't worry about, competi- you know, competition will come and follow. Um, you have to be the, the, the target audience. Your prospects need to have faith that you are the first mover of your new category. That's one. You have to be very fun and light. You know, don't speak an enterprise language, especially in sales. Um, in our specific landscape, there's a couple of products that, you know, according to prospects, they speak a very boring language. That's not really attractive. You have to sound like you're alive and have to sound like it's fun. You're fun to work with. Um, you have to make, you know, the visual aspects of the brand have to be very much on spot. Also in your product, the UI and everything. Um, you have to be a thought leader, you know, engage with a lot of content. Um, and, you know, if you provide a good service, then you'll be a brand because people will just talk about you, especially in sales and marketing and those type of communities. People really share their use cases, right? they case studies and they recommend tools. So you mo- you want to be very much on spot with providing real value. And, you know, when you get the big rounds of funding, you can do lots of expensive stuff to become a brand.
0: <laughs> well, so I like the fact visual, fun and light, you know, have great UI. What do you mean by engage with a lot of content? Are you going in forums? Are you going on specific social areas? Like what can you get, break that down a little bit more?
1: Um, there's a lot of stuff that we've done, like we've seen happen like organically. So, you know, I keep track of all of the different mentions of Walnut and every night, every morning I wake up, something happened, right? People talked about it on Twitter, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, um, in the different communities. Right. So, um, lots of stuff going on in the different sales communities. Um, the press coverage that we get is kind of, you know, it's, Overwhelming. Every day we wake up to a new article in some top websites talking about this landscape that we're building. Um, our social media, thousands of followers. We have a video podcast like this one that we're doing called Nuts About Sales, where we interviewed the VP sales of um, you know, companies mm-hmm. like ZoomInfo and G2 and lots of cool companies. If you combine a lot of a lot of those channels, um, if you if you do it right, like if you're attractive to the audience, you're gonna see lots of inbound lots of good positioning for your brand. If you don't get it right, you're spending lots of time and money for nothing. Lucky for us, it's working out. Okay.
0: Awesome. So walk us through the the journey to to get that much funding and what that was like because you know, from other guests I've I've spoken to, I know that it's like a whole sales process within itself to go through the funding experiment. And so I'd love to hear just kind of your journey through that and how that worked.
1: Right. It's usually hard. Um, at Walnut, it's all been preempted, which means, um, you know, you do these rounds long before you want to do these rounds. And usually preemption happens if it's with the right partner, you know, and the right valuation and everything. Otherwise, it's it's worthless. But usually it happens when you're on to, to a real problem. There's a good timing in the market. Um, you have a good NPS and health score with customers and that attracts lots of investors. Um, alongside the amazing funds that backed us, you can also find tech figures like C-levels in companies like Google and Salesforce and GitHub and HubSpot and Wix and et cetera, um, which are helping us kind of build out this huge platform. And you start with a small seed. If you If you launch it correctly and you make a lot of noise and you provide real value with your MVP, You'll get inbound for extending that seed, going all the way to A to B. Um, if you're well-connected, you know, that's good. That's an edge. If you're not, you got to work a little bit harder with reaching out proactively to funds. That's
0: that's kind of the story. So you work with C-level executives at Google and HubSpot? Is that what I heard you say? Companies like yeah. that?
1: Our investors include, yeah, they include executives from most of these companies.
0: Uh, okay, I gotcha, gotcha. So that helps obviously with the PR angle. Do you leverage a PR company as well to spread the news on what you're doing as well? Um, there's so much,
1: there's so much stuff happening organically that I'm I'm kind of trying to save on that retainer as much as I can. Um. So, so yeah, not, not working with an Hold
0: official cool. annual contract PR team yet. Okay, cool. Well, that's awesome. I mean, it, it sounds like you're hitting a lot of the different angles in, in, of, of ways to do things. So, you know, so I guess like one of the things that we talked about before the show a little bit, and I think it's great and'm I'm, I'm a big proponent of this like when I work with clients, but we talked about the 80 twenty rule, right? And what are the little changes that the twenty percent changes that create the eighty percent results? So I'd love to hear your feedback on that and what you've seen you know just from working with so many companies as well.
1: You mean the twenty percent FO that makes them eighty percent of the success?
0: Did I say it the other way around? They say no, eight the percent that makes twenty. I was just saying the twenty.
1: No, we can we can hear. Yeah, twenty percent
0: that gets you 80 percent
1: of the results. <laughs> yeah, um, I think <laughs> everything, I everything everything like succeeding with a startup has to start with the people. If you focus a lot on your founding team and your management, that goes the longest way out of everything. You know, you can have an amazing idea and a crappy founding team; nothing will work out. We're lucky enough, you know, some of our developers were CTOs in their past. We're lucky enough that everyone in our different teams were big shots in their previous workplaces, or they had their own startups. And, you know, there's like amazing synergy among so much, so many talents. I think this is really the call of your success. Um, and if you can build out a great DNA, mm-hmm. most likely succeed with pretty much everything.
0: Well, how do you assemble an amazing founding team? Cause I think that's a great, great nugget, but how do you do that? How do you make that a reality?
1: Um, a little bit of a, a little bit of, networking and connections you know our first people in were from previous ventures that we had so we were lucky enough they joined us and they joined us when like switching jobs were kind of irrational it was in the first lockdown of covid and people were holding on to their dear jobs Um, and that's when they joined us so we were lucky about that then the brand helped us a lot with that we have lots of inbound Um, and i also have to tell you that in tel aviv our head of marketing um was a tv style for a couple of months um and we did oh, nice. a, yeah we did a viral campaign about it and we got 7000 cvs um from people that liked that video <laughs> that's fantastic what, what tv show or what kind of show was it so so it's
0: our version of uh, married at first sight ah uh, okay so a reality tv show yeah one of those type things okay that's fantastic Highly entertaining as well. So that's cool. And then you, you leverage that and you kind of went with it. And, um, that's cool. I'll have to check out the video. So we'll have, you'll have to let me know what it is. Maybe we include in the show notes or something like that, the, the, uh, advertisement. So what would you say is your biggest challenge right now? Like you've had this rapid growth at a crazy speed. You've had tons of investment. What's your single biggest challenge that you're running into now?
1: Growth is very complicated to get right in startups. Um, you know, you have a huge ship. You kind of every inch you'll take it left or right will make a lot of impact for good and bad. So, um, so a challenge would be growing. We're, like we're doubling our man count. Um, we're spreading across a lot of different countries um, and opening new offices and you know stuff. So. That's a major challenge, like to get a, you know, to build a culture where everyone's remote and they feel connected and people are connected to the mission and everything. I would say that's a challenge, like because the market needs us. There's a lot of, you know, there's money in the bank. We just need to build a company that's the best, the best opportunity for people to work at.
0: Mm -hmm. Are you are you looking at. Doubling in size again, or what's like your growth trajectory?
1: Yeah, yeah. We need to get to about 150 people in size.
0: Okay. And you're, you're kind of looking at the headcount as the metric for revenue growth as well. Oh, yeah. and
1: revenue will grow surprisingly um, beyond that. But, um, you know, we, we're we working on finding the best talents we can for each department. So it, it can be even... Okay. Really-
0: so... Like, if you had to break it down, you know, what's your number one best ninja skill that you think you do better than anybody else? Oh, I hope I won't sound like I'm, um,
1: you know, tooting my own horn. Um, no, everybody's got something they're good at. Go with it, man. Yeah, I would say, you know, there's like, a, there's like a a theory that, you know, if you're doing something a lot of people do, let's say you're, you know, founder of a startup, you know, there's lots of founders. but if you connect it with a background that most people don't have, then you'll be more successful in what you do. Um, in you know, I come from a, from a city where ninety eight percent of founders are uh, technical people, like you know, technology CTOs, um, and even the CEOs are usually tech people. Um, I come in much more mm. with uh, marketing and you know, business and sales and go to market stuff as a CEO. I think that's really unique, especially when you're building out a sales automation platform. Um, so that's that's one skill set that I can definitely see the impact. of.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's good. So basically you leverage that and then kind of work from there. So, OK, well, let's do a quick founder fire real quick. Um, and these are just quick questions that to, to give you understand like different pieces about you. So who's the number one founder that they or founder or CEO that you think that you look up to or you think is doing an amazing job right now?
1: Wow, there's so many. Um, I, I don't want to get a lot of new enemies by not mentioning their names. Um, <laughs> I, would say, I would say, you know, in, in Tel Aviv, we have Wix, which is a very impactful company. It's no longer a startup, obviously. Um, and we're lucky that their CEO is one of our investors, and I think he's doing a remarkable job. Okay, that's awesome. And what's your favorite book you've read over the past couple of years? Uh, favorite books, I would say, I w- well, actually we have uh, an investor, which is the CEO COO at Okta. And he just released a book called zero to mm-hmm. IPO about a very insane journey of almost shutting down a couple of times to an IPO. Um, I would say that's a
0: very insightful book. That's cool. I haven't heard about that. I'm going to have to check that out. It's a new um, one. And then, you know, what, what what advice would you give to yourself knowing what you know now for when you when you were walked in your first startup?
1: Um, I, w- I would advise myself to be um, suspicious of other people's advice unless they come from a specific, you know, background and experience in a specific industry. Because, you know, oftentimes you hear successful founders giving like a general tip, right? Like move fast, spend a lot of money on this or don't do that. And. If it's people that haven't really worked in the specific industry and type of product that you're building, then their advice is going to be a bit meaningless. So make sure that you filter the good advice from the useless advice.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. So I, I I love that because you, I'll see people doing the same thing. You know, they'll they'll apply principles that work for hundred million dollar companies to ten million dollar companies, and you're in a completely different space and range and or by vertical, or by domain expertise. So, I think you hit the head on the hit the nail on the head from there. So, we're we're just about we're up on time now. So, where can people find out more about you? Where can they find out more about Walnut? And then uh, we'll wrap it up.
1: So I'm everywhere. Um, sorry about that. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, our website walnut.io, and all, all of the different social profiles of Walnut are also very much accessible.
0: Awesome. All right. And then um, anything else you want to say before we wrap? Uh, no, thanks for having me. It's a great, it's a great podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, have It was awesome having you on the show. I loved your perspective, your really unique approach to go to market. And then, you know, just some of the other things that, that you talked about, about, you know, leveraging your, your marketing prowess in an area that's saturated with tech founders. So I think that's that's awesome. So thanks for being on the show and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks. Thank you for checking out The Scale-Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today but the more we get the message out the more people we could help the bigger the impact we make and the bigger the community gets which helps everybody so once again thank you for being a loyal listener i appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode